0: Hi and welcome back to season two of the Sustainable Cannabis Coalition podcast series where we talk about all things sustainability with some of the most distinguished experts in the cannabis industry. I'm your host Sean Cooney, founder and CEO of Cloud Farming and co-founder of the Sustainable Cannabis Coalition. Today I'm going to be talking to Hadi Feltham, the Vice President of Development for Pure Life Carbon. We're going to be talking about their Standalone soilless grow medium that's built from a biocarbon base. This should be a great conversation, and I can't wait to get into it. So hi, this is Sean Cooney from the Sustainable Cannabis Coalition, one of the founders of the, the coalition. And with me today is Hadi He He's the VP of Business Development. For Pure Life Carbon out of Alberta, Canada, and uh, we're going to go over a bunch of uh, grow media and, in particular, the Pure Life Carbon carbon products. So, Adi, turn it over to you and let us know a little bit about you and uh, a little bit about uh, Pure Life Carbon.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much, Sean, and thank you for having us on uh, with the Sustainable Cannabis Coalition. I think it's important as we are moving forward in today's society with the things that are happening to take a moment and really take a look at how we can make our facilities more sustainable and more succinct for the future. Myself, I come from a bit of an agricultural background, grew up in southwestern Ontario, lots of farming communities, working around cash crops as well as livestock, and seeing the impact over the last 30 years on, on those environments has really brought to light the need to uh, to bring back the sustainability. So I appreciate what you've done in founding this organization and putting it together. Uh, Pure Life Carbon itself was looking at sustainable sustainability uh, a number of years ago, as this was founded out of the College of Lethbridge with Dr. Nick Savadaw, who at the time had just commercialized coca choir and was looking at filtration systems and the founding Father for our company, Daniel Ronald, was in a course with him actually uh, working with dualponics aquaponics filtration systems when he came across the Grow Media. Now, Dr. Nick had been researching for about 15 years different types of biochar products in order to be able to produce an advanced carbon that would hopefully eventually replace rock wool and peat moss in the, in the growing market. So in 2015, when Daniel found this material and took it home just before legalization of cannabis and grew a beautiful cannabis plant in this material, um, they had only been able to create the product to be a blend of up to about 15% within soil medias. And uh, with the help of Daniel and Ryan Rand, the two founders of the organization, they were able to find a way to commercialize the product and create it as a standalone grow media. Now, advanced carbons are, are extremely important to the environment, especially with the future growth of what we have going on in sustainability because of the carbon negative feature of the material. Uh, we sequester about 3.7 tonne of carbon through the manufacturing and processing of our material. And our raw feedstock actually pulls in uh, CO2 from the atmosphere during the growth of its period, um, which takes about six to 10 months for it to reach full maturity where we cut that product off and then put it through pyrolysis where it gets heated up. Now, most of the time people think of pyrolysis as a uh, way of creating energy or destroying waste. We look at it a little bit differently and it's through the creation of our grow media. So it's very important with us that we look at our feedstock all the way through the process and we'll actually test our raw feedstock before it goes into pyrolysis to ensure that we have the consistency out of it. But Daniel and Ryan, really, their passion was in eliminating rock wool from the market. As many of us know, the detriment of, of rock wool in the creation of taking mineral wool and uh, minerals and spinning it into a wool, creating like a cotton candy, taking millions of BTUs to, to create that material, and then growing product in it. Um, and then for the waste period, throwing it out, a lot of people have thrown it into landfills and, and other places. Where it's caused uh, MPK bleed into uh, wastewater systems, and again is extremely intense in uh, in emissions in the destruction of the material as well. So when Daniel and Ryan founded Pure Life Carbon in 2018, after they had commercialized the ability to create the product, uh, we started taking it to market, and uh, ever since then we've had tremendous success in in many different trials. Myself, I was consulting in the cannabis industry. Uh, about four and a half years ago, helping build modular facilities uh, for quick-to-market access for cannabis. And uh, I was always looking at the sustainable side of things, making sure that we were looking at combined heat and power systems for energy and in reduction, recapturing CO2, zero-waste recirculatory systems. But I was really having a hard time finding a media that I wanted to use on a consistent basis because of the impact that heat and rock will have on the environment. So when I was introduced to Pure Life Carbon in uh, 2019, I was very skeptical. One because the person that was introducing it to me used the term called biochar, and as many people know, the term biochar is the creation or destruction of waste, and it turned me off because again, most people can't grow in it. But after a quick trial with my cannabis plants and trying to kill uh, to kill them in the media to see what uh, stresses it would be able to take, uh, I found that it was very Uh, forgiving in what it was doing and the buffering capacity on it was amazing. So I started helping uh, take the product to market. And as of last year in August, I came on board with the company as the VP of business development uh, to help carry that forward. And since then, we've signed up several licensed producers uh, and growers with our product, including uh, peat moss manufacturers who are now looking at it as a replacement in the future uh, to eliminate peat as. Scandinavia and the Netherlands, potentially California, will be eliminating peat moss and rock wool out of the growing industry uh, in some countries by 2030. So that's a little history about us. Probably a little bit long winded, but uh, it, it's it's who we are.
0: That's great. That's great. I mean, you you definitely covered it. Uh, and how do you say so you you moved from Ontario to Alberta to to work with the company?
1: I've been in Alberta since 2003. So when I was younger, again, growing up in southwestern Ontario, I moved out there uh, in Alberta to work with actually outdoor apparel and equipment. Um, As I've said in the past, I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none, which I believe is better than a master of one. And uh, the reason that is is because it gives me experience in a bunch of different areas. So I've sold everything from silk flowers to shotguns, uh, grow media to uh, combined heat and power systems.
0: That's great. Um, and it sounds like the product's just amazing. Can can you give us the, the our, our listeners just a, a quick sort of breakdown between you know what Quar, Rockwell, Peat, how they you know, the thumbnail comparison between them and, and pure carbon product?
1: hmm what's really nice is our so at Pure Life Carbon, we have absolute carbon and we have charged carbon. Our absolute yep. carbon is used as a soil augmentation or a blend up to about that 15 to 20% blend, depending on what you're mixing it with and peat or cocoa choir. And our charged carbon is our standalone grow media. Both of them are produced through the pyrolysis that I mentioned earlier. And both of them, um, so absolute carbon is actually the feedstock to create our charged carbon as well. Whereas when we take a look at rock wool, coco choir, and peat, the difference between those are, with the peat moss, uh, obviously it's extracted out of bogs, which uh, you know, are actually designed to sequester CO2 and hold on to that out of the atmosphere. And yet, we go out and we farm those and release the CO2 into the atmosphere, uh, emitting the greenhouse gases. And peat moss currently is, contributes about 9% of the greenhouse gas globally um, during the extraction of that product. And over the years, that product has actually deteriorated in its quality, um, creating issues with root-borne disease um, and, and root problems. So it has a tendency of holding moisture on the outside of the fibers and soaking into it, uh, yep. where uh, it creates a moist atmosphere. It's very similar to cocoa choir. And those product as well, is coca choir is probably the closest in, in environmentally friendly product because it is made out of a sustainable product. The challenge is the processing of coca choir takes a lot of heavy salt. And a lot of times, depending on the quality of the coca choir that you're getting, is very inconsistent because it's washed differently and those fibers are broken down. And they can cause the same problem as peat moss does around the root zone because of the root-borne diseases that can travel in that, the contaminants that can live in it. Rock wool would be very close to our material in the fact that it's inert and it comes as a base product with nothing in it. Um, You know, our our advanced carbon product is very clean. We have a CFIA approval in Canada, which is the organic approval for our product. And that allows uh, our testing is actually a lot higher than that as well. So we meet global standards when it comes to um, dioxins, furans and the chemicals that might be within a compound. Again, relating very close to a rockwell in that sense. The difference is that rockwool, when it dries down, you can't really recharge that block in order to be able to hold on to the moisture. One of the added benefits of, of charged carbon is that even when it dries out, it can be recharged. So when plants, if you miss a feeding or if an emitter gets plugged, um, yep. the, the plants will wilt, but they'll come back, whereas in rock wool, they won't. So, a little bit of a difference between all the materials, um, but a little bit of similarity to them as well. Our product holds a lot of moisture inside the carbon shells where the roots actually develop and penetrate in to grow and and use each carbon shell as kind of like a refrigerator. um, And it allows to hold a lot of moisture. But at the same time, 60% of the volume of the root ball is oxygenated because of the way that we've designed the uh, porosity of the material as well.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it sounds like the, the life cycle. Of the, the charged carbon product, from the time you get it to the consumer to the marijuana grower uh, to, to the end of its life, uh, should be interesting. Is, is can you give us a little rundown on you know from the time someone gets a shipment of, of um, charged carbon to the to the end of it, what what happens?
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. So when somebody gets in, what we do is we have a couple different programs that we run with our commercial growers. Nobody likes to handle material, so we take that out of their hands by uh, offering fabric pot as well as biodegradable plastic pot that we ship our material in. Our most popular size of container is 1.5 litres or 1.8 litres of our charged carbon. And I'm going to say that one more time because it's one of the biggest hurdles that I have to overcome with growers is that that's 1.8 or 1.5 litres of material, not gallons. So it equals about 4 or 5 gallons of raw material that we use to grow a full sized plant in. So our growers receive those in a tote that is collapsible at when they've taken the material out. They're pre-packaged pot. So all they have to do is take their clones or the cuttings and put in clones and put them into the material. We are developing a carbon gel product that will be able to propagate and and produce tissue cultures from, but in the meantime, most people are using their traditional starter blocks, transplanting that into our grow media, and flowering the product out. At the end of harvest, all they have to do is cut the root ball off and put that container back into the tote, and we take it back for additional remediation. The amazing part about our product is if the grower themselves don't want to reuse it, then we actually take it back and we encourage us taking it back because we'll remediate and sell it into another industry like tomatoes or uh, cucumber, vine crops or um, peppers, berries. We actually have growers in the tomato industry that are utilizing our product for a season in the tomatoes. And then when they harvest the root ball, they're switching it over into their strawberry production and they're using it for a full year or two turns in their strawberry production. So the material is very versatile and reusable. We actually haven't found an end of life to it yet. It has been in use with some people that have done trials with us for the last four years where they continue to remediate the product on their own with just simple washing and reusing of the material. So that's very different than what you can do with the other Coco Choir Peeps, and and Rockwell.
0: That's amazing. Um, Then could could a marijuana business do the reuse like the tomato grower does, or is that a the, the difference in the industry that, uh, no, that they, I don't know about?
1: They could. So depending on the size of the facilities, we are actually encouraging. So if it's a you know it's 200,000, 300,000 square foot facility and they're using a lot of material, um, one way that we can help increase the carbon that we sequester out of the atmosphere is not returning that product back to us for remediation, but putting yep. a remediation tool on site, whether that's steam or heat, in order to be able to ensure that we basically kill any bacteria that might be in there, just because of the root zone, our product has an amazing buffering capacity It doesn't hold on to negative microbials or neg- negative pathogens, like some of the other products do. Um, so again, it takes a little bit of heat or steam to clean the product out, and then they can repot it and reuse it. Um, and then for those, like I say, that want to send the material back, uh, we can use it there we have one grower currently that has indoor and outdoor cultivation. So for the first two years, they're going to use their indoor cultivated product and they're going to uh, sequester it into the soil of their outdoor grow to help with soil, um, with water retention and nutrient reduction.
0: So even though the, you're only using the 1.8 liters instead of, instead of several gallons of, uh, of, of, of uh, growing media, do the plants grow the same size? I mean, is there anything different about what what the result is?
1: We've actually had growers reduce their plant count because of the increase of canopy that they get from our product. So in some cases with some cultivars, we've actually seen uh, top nodes go from around six to eight up to 10 to 12 when the, when the grower gets used to the material increasing the canopy. So yeah, it, it does have, Extremely good job, especially in in developing the biomass uh, to help generate the the flour. So, sort of back to the beginning,
0: you you were you were talking about the ability to grow you, that you grow your own feedstock for making the, the carbon product, um, mm-hmm. and then you do the pyrolysis and, and other stuff to come up with the final product. So, does controlling your the the input into the whole system? A big difference in terms of the quality or ability to sequester more carbon or you know, how does that work?
1: It it makes a huge difference. The quality of our material right from the feedstock actually dictates what we get out of the end. And that's what makes us different. Again, I used that term biochar earlier. We don't like yep. to use that term with our product. We like to use advanced carbon. Um, because when we speak about biochar, it's like talking about plastic. Back in 19, 1902 when plastic was hitting the market. People were using that term, but today we know the difference between it. You wouldn't use the same plastic you uh, use for plumbing as you would to insulate something. So there's EPS and there's PVC. Same thing in the biochar industry. There are a lot of different forms of biochar. It could be made from waste sludge, from sewage plants. It could be made from a number of different things. And a lot of facilities, when they're, when they're producing biochar, they're, again, their goal is to create power or to get rid of waste whereas our focus on creating a grow media. So if we have toxicity or if we have an imbalance of product from our feedstock going into it, you're going to have the wrong product coming out at the end of it. And it's really a focus on ensuring that we have the best quality material for a grower to achieve their goals um, and design it with the the ferocity of the material as well that benefits the plant. Uh, that really makes us unique in that industry, and that's why we call it more of an advanced carbon. Mm-hmm. That,
0: that's cool. Okay. and and um... I know, uh, you. I think you also had mentioned that, that the, the, the process creates energy. Uh, how does that factor into the sustainability, the, the process of creating carbon?
1: Well, the process of creating carbon, again, we're, we, the plants that we utilize grow, um, grow extremely quickly. And when they're growing, they sequester about 3.7 ton of carbon for every one ton of carbon that we produce um, yeah. after we've put it through pyrolysis. And during the heating process, we actually pull out oils and vinegars and that sort of thing. And we utilize that in order to be able to power the system that's actually creating the heat. So there is no energy used in that process. And because of the way that we do it, it actually creates excess heat, which then can be converted into power for local communities. And the byproduct in the oils and vinegars, this isn't something that we're involved in because we, again, our goal is 100% to grow media. The other partner that we have with the equipment, they look after the wood oils and vinegars and they can sell them as chemicals uh, for cleaning agents and other products. So everything that we utilize within that facility is utilized in some way or another. Um, Right now, even our product that we use are cut cutoffs of other materials that are used uh, for manufacturing.
0: And so when you're talking about the source product sequestering, so it's basically taking the CO2 and putting it back into the ground?
1: It's taking the CO2 and putting it into the plant. So when trees and grass and everything else grows, they, they, they pull that in through, through building blocks of, of the plant. They sequester that CO2 into their, into their cells, and then we trap it there through pyrolysis.
0: Sounds oh, great. Do you, actually, do you guys grow all of this in Alberta and do all the process in Alberta?
1: We do, the, we do the final processing of our charged carbon currently in Alberta. Our raw yeah. feedstock comes from around the world. Um, okay. It is very, very specific in, what, in, the, in the characteristics that it has in order to be able to create the finished product. So we bring that in as a raw biochar or, a, or an advanced carbon, our absolute carbon product. Um, yep. And then we uh, take that and we through it, take it through an additional patented process uh, to create our charged carbon. Cool. So, we're currently located in Alberta, where we're building at the twenty two thousand square feet. But in the next two years, we'll have additional facilities in south southwestern United States uh, Eastern Canada, as well as the Netherlands.
0: so have you as far as the future have have you guys tried the your your products and uh, your advanced carbon product with other vegetables that seem to have a lot of you know potential success?
1: Yes, we have we We're currently again we've we're conducting trials or working with a, a peat moss manufacturer out of out of Europe uh, where we've been conducting trials in tomatoes and vine crops, and it's been pretty amazing. We're finding the same thing in 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 vegetable production and fruit production that we're finding in cannabis production. and again, that's the reduction of pathogens, reduction of of challenges with pest and integrated pest management controls. And the biggest thing has been consistency with our with our grows in the tomatoes. Our average row difference in, in the sample that I'm speaking about, they're about anywhere from 2.2 to 2.8 kilograms in weight difference in the tomatoes when harvested, whereas in the other product in Rockwool, which I might add they've, they've been using for 22 years. This is the first time yep. that this company has ever used our product. They've been using Rockwool for 22 years, and they're getting anywhere from a 16 to a 22 kilogram difference in rows of harvest. So that tells us that there's an inconsistency within the media. The other thing, there's other uh, deficiencies within the fruits that are showing up on their product where it's not showing up on ours. And what's happening is we're finding the buffering capacity of the material helps the plant take what they need when they need it, reducing any of those other pieces. So that's happened in cucumbers, uh, tomatoes. Um, I'm currently growing turmeric, uh, lime tree, banana tree, uh, cucumbers, I've already said that and, um, okay. cactus, white orchid cactus and, um, other form of cacti. I really love the, love the product.
0: Really? Um, mm-hmm. because it, it, they can keep the dryness and have it still work right or.
1: Yeah. And the orchids, orchids are, are a great product too, because the, the, again, the root ball stays 60% oxygenated, um, yeah. while they're getting all the moisture they need as well.
0: Cool. So d- does this. Growing this way fit in with all the other components. Like if someone has an existing facility, do they have to make any changes to their system?
1: If you are able to time your fertigation, you're able to use our product. Um, Hand watering, you can still hand water with it. It just takes a little bit. It's a little bit different adjustment uh, in hand watering. What I really like is the potential future of uh, zero waste recirculatory systems with our product. I've been doing this for several months now at my, at my facility or my personal R&D. Um, and what I'm finding, again, is the buffering capacity of the material is amazing. I went away for 21 days, left my plants home with my daughter. She is 20, but, uh, but she doesn't enjoy growing plants as much as I do. So she traditionally kills them. Um, yep. When I went away for 21 days, I came back expecting the plants to be dead. One, because I didn't use great plants. This was an experiment. And two, all I did was balance the pH to 5.8 and the EC to 1.1 before I left the house. And 21 days later, I came back and the plants were healthier and happier than I'd ever seen them. Um, And now we will find out when I get back. I left them. I put in 50 mil of Emerald Harvest A and 50 mil of Emerald Harvest B um, before I left here. And I'm gone for five and a half weeks. And we'll see if the plants are alive when I get home.
0: Sounds like a great experiment. Is the daughter still going to be there? <laughs> Not watching. Yeah,
1: well, I, I she my daughter is there, so she, all she's allowed to do is balance the pH if it if there's yeah. an adjustment in the pH and put water in the plant. That's all she's allowed to do while I'm away. Um, and we'll see how they go. I think that they're you know the last photos I got they're extremely healthy. If they're flipped into flower nicely, um, so we'll just see how they go. But again, the, using a recirculatory system, and I'm only feeding you know 15 minutes a day or 15 three times, 15 minutes a day. We've got other people that are using Dutch nutrient stacking systems where they're pulse feeding on, a, on an hourly basis, little yeah. increments of, of water so that there's zero runoff um, yeah. and, and stacking the nutrients that way, having tremendous success. I have another grower who runs his water 10 hours a day and he's actually pushed up to 3,200 ppm for three to four weeks um, without damaging the plant and then brought it back down for the last couple of weeks to flower. Uh, so the product's extremely resilient uh, when it comes to the development of the plant.
0: Um, I know one of the, the issues in the industry, you know, is it's looking like, you know, the cannabis uses more water than some of the other ag industry uh, plant. Um, is, is, does doing this reduce your, your water consumption or is it just a bit easier to manage the whole system?
1: It does reduce your water consumption. Um, it gives you more control of how you're going to do it, especially if somebody were to go to zero waste. Over a uh, that 21-day period when I was gone, I only lost 26 liters of water. So just for a day, and that was for 15 plants. Um, so, And again, the, the plants were able to take up the nutrients that they wanted when they wanted it. Uh, so I was able to reduce. Actually, with that trial, I didn't use any. In previous trials, I've been able to reduce my uh, nutrients by up to 70% and reduce my watering by about 60%.
0: That, that sounds great. And is there, is there anything else you really think, uh, the, our listeners should know about the, 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 carbon products?
1: Well, I think that for a lot of the growers out there, it, it's important for them to be able to control what's going on and steer their product is a term that's used quite a bit. One thing that I enjoy doing is allowing my genetics and nutrients to do what they need to do within the grow media they have. And pure life carbons, charged carbon allows us to do that, reducing the impact that we have right across the board. I think that as we move forward, zero waste recycling systems have to be put into place so that we don't have the drought and loss of water that we're having in California and other parts of the world uh, right now. And that our buffering capacity on the material is amazing. So when we go through into those dry down periods or you're in extremely hot weather um, and you're under glass, when you start seeing that wilting in Rockwell, you, you, you might as well throw away your plants because you won't be able to rehydrate that material. Whereas okay. in our charged carbon, we can rehydrate all you want. I've had plants wilted and falling over. They were so wilted, uh, added water, and within a half hour, the plants were standing back up and, and, and enjoying life again. So. You know, as much as we want to steer and control our plants, I think it's also important just to watch, maintain, and ensure that they're watered properly uh, to let the genetics do what they need to do and, and create the products we're looking for.
0: You you were using the word steer. I, I don't know. I'm not sure if everyone it's kind of new in the industry. Could you give a little a little yeah. lesson on on steering? I mean, I think it's I think it's really intriguing, and um, you know, it, it'd be worth hearing it from someone who's who's experimenting with it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting to be able to steer the product and, and guide it to where you want to go by using a number of different methods, depending on the growers we're talking about. Um, and that can be done in, in your watering cycles and how you're doing your dry down period, as well as your nutrients that you're sending into the plant to try and steer it in a direction where you're going to create the flavonoids and terpenes profile that you're looking for out of the, out of the cannabis plant. Looking at more of the colors, I'm, I'm enjoying watching people play with the LED lights and the diodes and, and seeing how the uh, spectral change can bring out different colors within the, within the bud uh, and yeah. help using different nutrients um, in order to be able to push that forward. So, you know, you'll notice a deficiency within a plant because of a, a, a browning of a leaf or something like that, and people will try and steer that back into a, into a healthier position. And or like I say to a to a more flavorful plant with higher cannabinoids and terpenes.
0: This is, this has been great, buddy. Um, so you know, it sounds like it, it, you're going to see some success moving this product into the into the cannabis market. And uh, you know, it's it's about time. Um, you know, if Rockwell's had the, uh, the 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 market for 20 years, that to, to start seeing something come in that, uh, you know, isn't as as impactful as Rockwell and Peter. And so, uh, so again, this is Fadi from Pure Life Carbon, and uh, you, you, do you have any last comment to, uh, to sort of add to our, uh, our conversation?
1: Oh, thank you, Sean, for, for having me on again, and uh, again, thank you to the Sustainable uh, Cannabis Coalition for all the work that they're doing in the industry. I think that, you know, our future is extremely bright when it comes to indoor agriculture. We have a lot of places to go. Uh, We just need to make sure that we're doing it the right way, Um, evaluating how we're moving forward, what our next steps are, you know, working with those combined heat and power uh, companies, recirculatory systems in order to be able to create environments that are actually going to be beneficial to to our future generations. We haven't had a choice in the past to deal with something that was carbon negative or carbon neutral in production and help the environment. But now that we do, it's really important for the growers to jump on board and, and utilize the product to its fullest potential. And I look forward to watching people trial it out. You know, we we are in a position right now where it's interesting where we have to build out more facilities in order to be able to keep up with our future supply and demand. Uh, but we have scheduled our new clients to come in as our supply increases uh so for those out there that are looking to get involved or try a new product that's carbon negative and is going to help the environment does an amazing job with your plants i would suggest getting a trial started sooner than later uh, so that uh, there isn't a delay in being able to implement it in the facility as we sell out uh, but again thank you very much for your time Pure life carbon appreciates the the ability to go out and spread the word about our product uh, and educate a little bit more on uh, on what we can do to uh, to help the plant and patients and uh, consumer get a better product. Sounds great.
0: Thanks, buddy. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sustainable Cannabis Coalition podcast. If you like what you heard, tune into our next episode and make sure to check out our content on our website at sustainablecannabiscoalition.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Yep, we're pretty much everywhere. Till next time.